Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. Uh, we're reading today from Genesis 17. Okay. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner, those who, you, who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any, circumcised, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name must be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child in her age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. My covenant will be established with you and Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. Then he, when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household and were bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God had told him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. 
and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, y'all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are reading an ancient text, and it is bound to confuse us. It is bound to confound us. But God, we thank you that you are always drawing us nearer to you. We thank you for this covenant. Thank you for who you are and what you do. In your name, amen. Circumcision. Let's talk about it. Okay, so what just happened? Uh, Coming up to Abraham's story. Yeah, so here's where Abraham is. He's just received this word from God. This might seem strange for a couple reasons. One, God has already given Abraham this promise. God has already said to Abraham, I'm giving you land. I'm giving you offspring. So it's weird for that reason. It's also weird because Abraham already has offspring. We learned just last week, he has Ishmael. And he's had Ishmael apparently for 13 years. And God hasn't really said, no, that's not what I meant yet. And it's also weird because while God made the promise the first time to Abraham, the covenant was only on God's side. Do you remember that weird, uh, gross passage that Ian walked us through where Abraham cut dead animals in half and the spirit of the Lord passed between the animals as a sign of keeping the covenant? And we know that from the ancient context, this is actually where we get the phrase to cut a deal with someone uh, because the shedding of blood was the sign of a covenant. So may this be done unto me if I don't uphold my end of the bargain. But this is the first time in the Genesis account so far that Abraham has been asked to do something. So if we go to this next slide, Kyle, if you get nothing else from this, we're going to speak about circumcision. We're going to speak frankly about it. We're going to speak clearly about it. I hope we learn something. Uh, I hope you're willing to enter into the weird with me a little bit. But if you get nothing else from this, just remember the point of a covenant is to include, not to exclude. Amen? The point of the covenant, of this covenant, of all of God's covenants, is always to include and not to exclude. The family of God is always expanding, and it doesn't stop at your point of discomfort. Circumcision. What is it? You don't have to tell me. I have slides. Uh, That next slide. Circumcision is the surgical removal of the foreskin and outer layer of skin from the human penis. It is not unique to Judaism. It is the world's oldest planned surgical procedure, according to some historians. People have done this. It's found in many different isolated people groups that would not have had contact with each other. They independently came up with this idea. 
However, it is most consistently prevalent, it is most commonly known in Judaism. Now, uh, when I was coming up in Christian circles, heard a lot about this idea, right? But I also knew that we weren't allowed to talk about certain things in church. But then I'm also reading this book that has some very specific things to say about human genitals. So what are we doing here? And also, I'm a little Christian OCD boy with a slow internet connection. I've only seen mine. What is it? What is, am I? Is it, what's happening? Okay, so. Very confused. And the answer I mostly got back was, don't worry about it. But that's not where I'm going to leave us today. Why is it done? If it's done in all these cultures, independently coming up with the like, hey, this is a good idea. That doesn't belong there. Let's take it away. Why? It varies from culture to culture. Some cultures thought that uh, it would keep away demonesses which are even more dangerous and feminine than regular demons, I suppose. Uh, some thought that being born without a foreskin was a sign of a leader. And so if you wanted to be seen as a leader, well, you better catch up. You better get that thing out of here. Why is it done? Well, it, it's done today in just in modern medicine. Like, it, there's, yeah, that it, it's just done in the hospital. If you don't specifically say, I don't want that, they will do that to your baby boy. Why is it done in the ancient world? The only point of agreement among the proponents of the various theories is that promoting good health had nothing to do with it. Maybe there were health benefits to ancient circumcision. I doubt that they took all the medical precautions we take today. The reason that it was done, though the reasons vary, it was always, always metaphorical. Because of course it is. Because of course it is. Because I think outside of a medical context, outside of modern medicine, there's no such thing as a non-metaphorical sex organ. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, we haven't really grown past this. Human beings reference their sex organs to insult people. We reference sex organs to call people weak, to call people strong, to call people courageous. We're weird like that. We don't view these parts of the body as just parts of the body. If someone is walking with swagger, I don't say that person has big nose energy for some reason. If someone is acting courageous, I don't say, man, the eyeballs on that guy. For whatever reason, we view this metaphorically. So what, in God's name, is it a metaphor for? If we're on the same page, what it's a metaphor for, what is it a metaphor for for the Jewish people? Let's find out. Kyle, what is circumcision for the Jewish people? Well, the answer is many things. First and foremost, as we see in Genesis 17, it's a metaphor for Jewish identity. God says to Abraham, every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of my covenant between me and you, whether born in your household 
or bought with your money, even male slaves in your household, they must be circumcised. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is a big deal. From Genesis 17, it's framed as a big deal. How else do we know that it's a big deal? Because of how it's framed. Next slide, Kyle. On either side of this covenant, Abram and Sarai undergo a name change. Wrapped up in this command from God, wrapped up in these promises from God, he's saying, no, you're different people now. And what you're about to do to your bodies and to the bodies of every male in your household is going to be a reminder of this promise, a reminder of this new people that you are. This is where Judaism begins. And it's hard to ignore as you keep flipping through Scripture. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Just how often the words circumcised and even more, uh, even more often the words uncircumcised are used. Because not only is it a metaphor for Jewish identity, not only is it something you have to undergo before you do the Passover meal, not only is it a metaphor for Jewish identity, Kyle, next slide, it's a metaphor for non-Jewishness, particularly the Philistines, typically. When Samson kills hundreds of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and he's thirsty, the way he complains to God is he says, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? That's the thing he's worried about. I'm sorry, Miles, it's upsetting, I know. It's more recent for him. I... <laughs> when David is about to fight Goliath, he doesn't insult Goliath by calling him ugly or stupid. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. When Saul, Saul, hardly the picture of, you know, obedient, good Jewish king, Saul would rather commit suicide. At the end of his days, he tells his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and abuse me. Circumcision is a metaphor for the Jewish identity, and it's a metaphor for non-Jewishness. It's a quick and easy way to tell who you are and who you're not. And this doesn't just end in the pages of Scripture, because it's so tied up in this covenant, in the covenant of Abraham. This is something held to consistently and, of course, religiously. If we go to the next slide, Kyle. This stood out as the Greek empire would continue to expand and as bathhouses became more of a thing. If you were Jewish, the other men in the bathhouse would know. And so bands became a way of oppressing Jews. It's hard to make Judaism illegal but you can ban a practice that only Jews do. Some would rather die. According to some texts, some were actually martyrs 
when they would refuse to stop circumcising the children in their community. Some were tired of it. Some just wanted to assimilate, and they would try to hide or even reverse the process. What that means enters into a level of medical tedium that I'm not comfortable going into from the pulpit. From what I've read, it was not comfortable. I can't imagine it was always successful. But these were the levels to which people would go to hide their Jewish identity. And those who did so were called among practicing Jews, they were called violators of the covenant. Be like, are you kidding me? This is the thing. This is the thing. If nothing else, this sets us apart. If you go to that next slide, Kyle. And among practicing Jews, this is still a religious ceremony. Most people's circumcision has nothing to do with their religion. It's just a medical practice. But uh, in Jewish synagogues, uh, there is something what is sometimes called a, a bris or a brit milah. And on the eighth day, the boy is circumcised in the synagogue. And I was relieved to figure out that, yes, it's not just any rabbi that does this. It's a trained rabbi. They specialize in this. So, awesome. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this so big? I don't know. But I know that it is a big deal. If we go back to Genesis 17, God could not set the stakes higher. He says, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, an interesting detail here. Abraham seems to know exactly what God is talking about. He doesn't say what is circumcision. He seems to get it. But he does say, what about Ishmael? He does say, is the offspring I've had already to be left out of this promise? And God says, no. Ishmael can come too. The rule doesn't change. The line is still here. But Ishmael may cross over. And that's to get back to the main point of this. That the point of covenant ultimately is to include, not to exclude. Amen? The point of covenant is to include, not to exclude. The promise of the Jewish people is not that you have been set apart by God, so stay set apart and stay safe and don't let anyone in. No, the promise to the Jewish people is that you are to be a light to the world. You are to be set apart so that you can redeem all of it. Rob Bell said something very similar about temples. And I don't have the quote here, but he says something like, you have to set aside a holy place and say this place is holy so that eventually you can say 
and so are all places. The particular becomes the gateway to the universal. This place is special, and so is every other place. These people are loved and separated and holy and loved by God, and so is everyone else. They're the family of God, just like everyone, which is what makes it real complicated when we start talking about what circumcision means for Christians. Let's move on to that, Kyle. What is it for Christians? Well, to understand what it becomes in the early Christian church, first we have to look at a couple of verses in the Old Testament that begin to play with the metaphor. If you go to the next. So as early as Deuteronomy, one of Moses' last speeches to the people is about circumcision, but it's not the kind of circumcision that you think. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. <clears throat> Already the metaphor is being made clear. We mark off a part of our body so that we may mark off a part of our heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. Uh, Jeremiah even goes so far as to say this, the days are coming when I, the Lord, will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Jeremiah says, no, no, no. Surgery is not enough. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's vital. It's not enough. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to set our hearts apart for God. So I think a lot of times we can think of like, ah, Judaism, that's the religion where they take everything literally. And Christians just say, ah, it's a matter of the heart, you know, confessing your heart and your mind. And it's like, well, no, actually, the tradition starts a bit earlier. But what about the New Testament? We know Jesus was circumcised. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. Jesus doesn't get his name until he's circumcised in the synagogue. The martyrdom of Stephen. He calls out fellow Jewish leaders. And he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. Which is an odd visual metaphor. Don't think about it too much. But he's saying, you missed the point. He's calling them Philistines. He's throwing the same insult to them that David threw to Goliath. You missed the point. 
And so this leads to a big debate, right? Because Christianity comes out of Judaism. First and foremost, it's a Jewish sect that eventually the Gentiles kind of wander their way into. And I, and I think most of us here in this room, are pretty grateful that happened, or we wouldn't be here. The Gentiles wander their way in. But then that's a huge debate among the Christian Jews, because they say, well, wait, if Christianity is a subset of Judaism, and Judaism requires circumcision, ipso facto, we need to circumcise these adult converts. You can imagine how that was received. But it goes so far as to say this. If you go to the next slide, Kyle. Some believers, as we see in Acts 16, were saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Who said that? Uh, just, some, just some church leader not a lot of us know named Simon Peter. Uh, the building block of the church, the rock on which the church was built, held this opinion. You cannot be saved. This is the door. This is the line. Yeah, everyone's welcome. Come on over. But you gotta do this. But you gotta do this. And this is gonna put him at odds with the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul was also raised strictly and religiously and observantly Jewish. Paul tells us, I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law of Moses. And I think at this point, we could probably forgive the church leaders for saying, you know what, yeah, this is the line. Like, listen, we're saved by grace, we're saved through, through faith, but like, you know, it's not us, it's Abraham. You got to cross over this way if you want to be let in. But Paul remembers what we remember. Paul remembers that this is not, that this is not the first time that God gave this promise. And Paul remembers that Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul does the mental math. And he says, well, wait a second. If Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness, like five-ish chapters ago, but he doesn't get circumcised until this point, are we saying that this doesn't count? That Abraham from here to here was not really Abraham, was not really righteous? And ultimately, Paul says an incredibly radical set of things. In Galatians, he spends pages and ages coming after the Jewish Christians who were demanding that converts be circumcised. And eventually, in Galatians, he writes this absolutely radical statement. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And just in case they missed the memo, he repeats the same idea in Colossians. 
Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Do you understand a bit more how radical of a statement that is? Like truly radical. If I were a practicing Jew, this would upset me. And I imagine that Paul did not just come to this conclusion overnight. But he saw where the machine was going. He saw where the branches were growing. And he saw that the point of a covenant is to include, not to exclude. Amen? Kyle, if you go to that next slide, the point of a covenant is to include, not to exclude. I can't make it make sense. But it's a big deal. And it's a big deal that Paul is willing to put that to the side. Because it's so wrapped up in promise and in Abraham's identity. So where's your line? What do you put here? What do you say? Yeah, all are welcome to the church. All are welcome to Christ Jesus. But you gotta... Where is it? Kyle, would you go to that next slide? What would you put in those blanks? What would upset you if someone came to you and said, in Christ, there is neither American citizen nor undocumented immigrant? What would that do to you if someone said, in Christ, there is no gay or straight? What would that do to you if someone said, in Christ, there is no black or white? What would that do to you if someone said, in Christ, there is no transgender or cisgender? What would that do? Does that upset you? It's so good. It's pushing us. The covenant is including And it's inviting in. Are we here to meet Jesus? No, really. Guys, are we here to meet Jesus? Say it. Are you? Yes. Are we here to meet Jesus? Okay. Then get out of his way. Get out of his way because he's coming across that line. And you can stay camped. And God will still love you. But Jesus is coming. And the lines he crosses will surprise us. In Christ, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. And the point of this covenant in the first place was always, always, always to include. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.